Welcome to Highway Freaks. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host. Introducing my road crew from British Columbia, Canada. Cruising Corinne and Motorhead Mark from Indiana, United States. Ghost Hunter Greg and our Canadian singer-songwriter and truck driver, GM Blacktop. Produced by Calgary's Power Path. We are Highway Freaks. Real truckers. Real life. Welcome to the Christmas holiday edition of Highway Freaks, visit number 58. I'm Santa Guy, <laughs> your esteemed host tonight, and we have our snow crew, and let's introduce them to you now. So let's start with Mistletoe Belt Buckle. How are you today, Mistletoe? Oh, just peachy. How about Jack Frost oh. GM? We represent the Coming soon is Felice Navi Mark, and we have our IT elf, our producer, and I'm Santa Guy. Sound <laughs> like Vincent Price, man. <laughs> all right okay so we've got some great songs tonight we've got all christmas songs on visit number 58 starting with grandma got run over by a reindeer by the irish rovers classic we have where are you christmas by faith hill run run rudolph canada's brian adams sarah mclaughlin winter wonderland the northern lights tears are not enough and we'll cap off the end of the show with Bob and Doug's 12 Days of Christmas. And coming up tonight on the eye-opener is part one of the James P. White interview that uh, we did a while back. And James has got quite the eclectic stories to tell you of uh, what's been going on in his life. And uh, we're also looking forward to having James P. White on Highway Freaks on January the 11th, Thursday night. And he'll be telling you about his topic, his passion, which is Pink Shirt Day Against Bullying. So, a lot of interesting things tonight. Let's ask Mistletoe Belt Buckle what his topic is going to be we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to read a little interesting thing about the, uh, about the Christmas truce of 1914, which was during World War One. It's a very interesting story. Okay. That'll sound uh, very Christmassy. And Curly Shoes Corinne, what are you going to talk about for the Highway Freaks? I will be talking about um, Ukrainian Christmas traditions and uh, the dishes that are typically served at night and the meaning behind them all. Okay. As long as you don't talk about pierogies, I've had probably three pounds of pierogies in the last month. So I think I'm done with them. Uh, how about you? Go ahead. I'll probably be mentioning them. Okay. I'll try and uh, uh, subside myself from uh, not wanting any more. But Jack Frost GM, what are you going to be talking about? Well, I spent the whole day researching Ukrainian Christmas dishes, so I'm uh, changing that last minute. Uh, I guess I'm going to just talk about uh, what Christmas means to people and uh, 
and uh, and uh, I don't know, baby Jesus. Okay. And I'm going to go over 26 fun facts you didn't know about Christmas. That's what Santa Guy will be talking tonight. Oh, 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 oh. So uh, we will yep. spread those out over the whole podcast. So you'll be able to get interesting little tidbits every now and then. So we're going to start it off with, let's see. Ding, 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 ding. You're up, Curly Shoes, Corinne. So tonight I'm going to talk about um, the Ukrainian traditions around um, Christmas time. Uh, all, all nationalities have their unique traditions for celebrating their special occasions. I was born in Canada, but my an ancestry is Ukrainian. I'm 100% Ukrainian. Uh, my Baba and Dito, which is Grandma and Grandpa, on Mum's side, and my Great Baba and Dito on my Dad's side, came to Canada from the Ukraine, or the old country as they used to say, when they were young children. So my parents grew up in a strong Ukrainian household following the traditions which then continued for the most part to when I was growing up. And so since tonight's visit is our Christmas edition, I decided to talk about the Ukrainian Christmas traditions that I experienced growing up. So when I was a kid, um, I got to celebrate two Christmases. My dad's parents celebrated on December 24th. Um, dad had five siblings, so it was quite a houseful at Bob and Dito's with all the spouses and the grandchildren together. And they would um, set up a long, long table in the basement so that all the family members could sit together and, and have supper at the same time. My mom's parents celebrated Christmas on January 6th. They followed the Julian calendar, which was what was followed in the Ukraine. In researching for tonight, I discovered that in early 2023, the Ukraine's main Greek Catholic Church announced the change to celebrate Christmas on December 25th. The info I found kind of came across that this was a way that they were trying to cut similarities with Russia considering the war. As an adult, I have taken um, a few different uh, paths and one being different religious direction uh, where I'm following Christianity rather than the Catholic faith that I did growing up. Um, I still celebrate other aspects of my ancestry though, for example with the traditional foods that are served at special occasions. The traditional Ukrainian Christmas Eve dinner consists of 12 dishes which are representative of the 12 apostles. Each dish contributes meaning and representation to the meal. As Christmas Eve is the night Joseph and Mary travel to Bethlehem, it is also called Holy Night, and the meal is considered the Holy Supper. The dishes for the Holy Supper are prepared without meat or dairy to honor the animals in, for their part in Jesus' birth. We never did this, but in the old days, hay would be put under the tablecloth and under the table representing the place of Christ's birth, the stable and the manger. A ring of the Christmas bread, called kolach, is placed in the center of the table with a candle in the middle, and an extra place would be set for family members who have passed away. So I'll go into um, some of the more common dishes that are chosen for the, the 12 dishes for the Holy Supper. Um, first one is called kutya. Its symbolism is eternal life. It is made from wheat kernels that are boiled for hours and hours to tenderize them. Then honey and poppy seeds are added. 
Some people add maraschino cherries and walnuts, so it kind of depends on what your tastes are. Um, traditionally, this is served as the first dish of the night, um, but my family always had it for dessert just because it is quite sweet with the honey in it. Uh, the next one is kolach that I mentioned earlier, and that is the circular Christmas bread, which symbolizes prosperity and health. There's typically a soup served, um, which symbolizes peace and harmony. Most families served uh, meatless borscht, uh, like my dad's side of the family did that, and, but my mom's side served a white bean and buckwheat soup, which is absolutely delicious. Next is fish, which symbolized Christ. Varying types of fish can be served. Uh, I was raised being told it had to be a white fish, but I have um, heard of some serving like stuffed salmon or whatever type of fish that they enjoy. Polypsy or cabadrils is a symbolism of peace and God's love. Uh, my family always made the meatless rice and onion filling, um, especially for Christmas Eve. I know a lot of different, say, if you want to say nationalities, they'll put meat, hamburger in, but we, we never did that. And the cabbage that is used is a sauerkraut head, so you get that tangy flavor. Um, I've actually never made the holopsy with meat filling myself. I, I always do the rice and onion all the time. Uh, the sixth one is, is your pereja or pierogies. It's also called varenica. It's the symbol of prosperity. Um, there are many filling choices that can go into the pereja, but again, with the Holy Supper, there's no animal products in the filling, so we would do potato, uh, sauerkraut, which would have the fried onion uh, and in oil. Uh, some put prunes or even poppy seeds. Uh, next dish that is served is called is garlic beans, and that's a symbol of rebirth. I've only had this one a couple of times. Uh, it's it's quite good, but it's got a ton of garlic in it, so. You, you have to enjoy garlic because it definitely gives you a kick in the butt. Kidpenki in gravy is um, mushroom gravy, is a symbol of fertility. Uh, my baba would actually go and pick and dry her own morel mushrooms to, to make the uh, mushroom gravy for Christmas. Uh, next dish is kapusta, which is sauerkraut and beans, and that's a symbol of strength. And then we would have pampushka, which symbolizes the saints in heaven. It is a sweet and savory roll, similar to having a dinner roll, but it was fried. And both sides of my family would make uh, a poppy seed filling to put in the rolls. Uh, some serve pickle herring. Uh, that's also a symbol of Christ. My family never served this specifically at Christmas, but my dad loved eating pickle herring throughout the year. And number 12 is uzvar, a symbol of purification. It's a rich drink made from dried apricots, apples, and plums and served at room temperature. We never had this, but my family's made something simple, similar called compote, which the fruit was left in the juice and you would eat it more like a dessert kind of thing. <clears throat> so once all the food is prepared and dusk hits, the head of the house brings in a diduk, which is a sheaf of grain which is placed near the icons or the religious images or pictures. Once the first star appears in the sky, the family gathers for the Holy Supper. First, the father carries a bowl of kutya around the house three times, reciting prayers. The family gathers at the table and the eldest of the household takes a spoon of kutya and throws it to the ceiling. 
The more wheat kernels that stick to the ceiling, the better the luck and more bountiful crops would be in the upcoming year. We never did these rituals, but my uh, Babas and Ditos did talk about them doing that in the old country. After the Holy Supper, the evening would be spent singing Christmas carols while waiting to go to Midnight Mass or Nativity Mass, which is a celebration of Christ's birth. <clears throat> the traditional greeting for that evening is Christos Restaicha, which means Christ is born. And your reply to that would be Slavit Yoho, which is let us glorify him. This may surprise some people, but I did not have a traditional Christmas turkey dinner until I was in grade 10, um, and I was invited to my high school boyfriend's parents' place for a Christmas Day dinner. And then when I was married, I used to cook a traditional Ukrainian Christmas dinner on December 24th, and then a traditional turkey dinner on the 25th. So I would start a few months ahead, make what I could and freeze so that it would be ready for Christmas Eve. And then I ended up cooking all, all day, both days, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So the holidays just flew by for me. This year I've, I'm combining the two traditions and I'm cooking a turkey dinner with the fixings and I've made my holiday last weekend to be one of my side dishes for the Christmas dinner this weekend. Yeah, so that's a little bit about um, the Ukrainian tradition and uh, how I, I used to celebrate Christmas. And uh, I know everybody thinks that the, the Ukrainian food is quite bland. It's, it's tasty, but yeah, it's not spicy like Mexican food or anything like that. But I really enjoy it and I'm proud to be Ukrainian. Do any of you have any questions or comments about it? I'm hungry now. Well, I was hungry until she mentioned the 12th dish. I'm not too sure I could eat something called compost. <laughs> no, no, not compost. Compote. Oh. There's no F in it. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. So you actually eat all of this in one sitting? Yeah. 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 Wow. They would make, you would make all those dishes. I mean, you you limit yourself how much you take kind of thing but um yeah, oh, I, 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 I i couldn't <laughs> and then then for dessert they have rollades <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. yeah wow well that, that was sounds sounds delicious yeah it does yeah, yeah. it's it's a very yummy meal for sure i i quite enjoy it I can't say that I've ever thrown heat on a, to a ceiling to see if it would stick. That seems yeah, a little strange. We, we didn't do that either. No, that was done in like the olden days, if you want to call it back in the old country kind of thing. So. I'm a fan of the Ukrainian sausage. I do like that. I will say. Yeah. That's for Easter. <laughs> That's for Easter. Okay, well, we're skipping to Easter then. What are you doing bringing Easter into the conversation? Leave the sausage out of it. The kubasa. <laughs> What's that called? Kubasa. Some say kubasa or kubasa. Oh, I call it yeah. kubasa. Is it kielbasa, kielbasa, yeah. Yeah, there's kubasa. different ways to pronounce it. Yeah. I thought I, it was kielbasa, K-I-L, no? No. It's I, do know, I do know a, a phrase in Ukrainian. I can actually tell you. Daimiti. Oh, let's hear it. Pardon? Daimiti. I don't know what that means. Do you want a cup of tea? Dimey tea. Okay. Okay, dimey kielbasa right. is do you want some Polish sausage? 
Which I well, you're just reading that. You're just reading off the internet. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, I grew up with the, the neighbors that were called the Wahoviacs, and and uh, when I was a kid, and we used to have tea, and we used to have. Uh, the kielbasa, the sausage, uh, and it was just the the best. Uh, and no, I didn't grow up like that. I, I kid you not, GM. Uh, I'm wow. sorry, not GM. It's it's Jack Frost GM. Yeah. So you had tea and sausage instead of tea and crumpets, like the English. Correct. But no, well, they were they were really nice people. Little, mm. little sausage never hurt anybody. So that's good. <laughs> And that's that that kielbasa is the best, the best. Yeah. Now yeah, some I, of it, we've, I've tried some that weren't that great. But. It's amazing how much those areas over there share different types of foods, and of course they all yeah. have different different names for it. So yeah, I'm surprised. Do you make your own pierogies, Corinne? Yep. Yep. From scratch. Yep. Really. Yep. Hey. I've made, yeah, I've, well, and I made my hold up tea last weekend from scratch. I've actually made most of what I read to you from scratch. And okay. over my so, years. Of- for the freaks out there, tell us how you make a pierogi from scratch. Because, I mean, I buy them in the stores, but I've never seen them made from scratch. So do enlighten me on that. Oh, goodness. I can't remember all the ingredients for sure. But, well, there's, there's actually not that many ingredients in the dough. Um, it's, you know, flour, uh, what is it, oil, egg? Well, there wouldn't be egg in it. Cause yeah, a little bit of salt, a little bit of a leavening yeah, agent. That's about it. And oil and the flour. And you just make it into a dough. You let it rise, and then you, you uh, roll it out. And you have your like, circle cutters, if you want to call it that, whether it's a cup or whatever you use that's circular, and cut that. And um, for my filling, I always make the potato one. So I boil up potatoes and I've got onion and uh, oil frying. Mash up the potatoes, put the oil and onion, salt and pepper in there. And then you take your, your circle. It's kind of hard to not do it visually. Uh, you put a little, like a spoonful, teaspoon, whatever, depending the size of your circle. And you put it just off center a bit, fold it over, and pinch, pinch, pinch all the way, go a couple times around, and either right into the pot or put them on a tray and freeze them. And then you can, once they're frozen, bag them and have them for later. And don't forget the barbarian rhubarb. That's got to go in here, too. Pardon me? Rhubarb? Barbarian rhubarb. No, I thought that was in pierogies, too. What the hell? I've never seen that. I've seen, well, the potato, uh, sauerkraut, prunes, Blueberry, peaches. Yeah, those are the fillings that I've I make had. I make potato and bacon and cheese. Yeah, I'm good with that. That that works for me too, Greg. We would we would fry bacon on the side and, and, and more onion and put it on top, but um, growing up my my family's never put meat into the right into the or cheese. A lot of people put cheese and we've never put them into the pareja. Of course, you have to have it with sour cream too, right? Oh, yes, for sure. You have to have sour cream on the side. I think a lot of it depended on what region of the Ukraine that the families were in. Like even, you know, the Polish, Germans, they all had similar there's similar dishes, like you were saying earlier, different names and stuff. But yeah, I think that's got a little bit to do with why the fillings are different for the holop tea having hamburger in it, which I've never had growing up. 
but um, yeah, no, it's, I, I love Ukrainian food. Maybe I'm a little bit leaning that way because I am Ukrainian, but. <laughs> just a tad bit biased, right? Just, just a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I like other foods too, not, not just Ukrainian. Okay. That was right. And that was, that was, the, especially when you described the progies, I was definitely getting hungry when you described them the way you made me, because I'm just getting tired of the chimos that I, that I get pawned off, uh, you know, and uh, after having three pounds of chimos, you, you just think of yeah. progies in a different they, light, but you made them sound really good. So. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, the chimos don't compare to homemade in any way. Yeah, you, you can't beat, you can't beat fresh homemade progies. Right. Yep. I agree with that. And uh, you know, you could probably get used to the compost too, Greg. You really <laughs> what do you think, you think about it. Eh, I put compost on my garden. <laughs> on your what? On my garden. garden. Your dirt. Garden. Oh garden. Oh yeah. I, I get that helps grow things, doesn't it? Jeez, exactly. Uh-huh. Get the candy canes out of your ears, buddy. How about that now? Okay. All right. I think we should just censor me all the way through. I, 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 I think so. <laughs> Santa Guy says, survey says, we'll get GM next. Okay. So um, I'm going to tell you a few facts here before we get into a song. And uh, the first one is a fun fact that dates back to 1955. And each year on Christmas Eve, children and adults across the globe visit the official Santa Tracker, where Santa Claus is delivering gifts. Now, the company began in 1955 when an American newspaper misprinted the wrong phone number in a dial Santa ad. The number belonged to Colonel Harry Shoup, Director of Operations at Continental Air Defense Command. This caused children to call up and ask for Santa Claus. Now, due to the insane amount of requests, Shoup told the children that he could track Santa's location on his radar, and thus the tradition of the Santa Tracker was born. And you can still do that to this very day. You can find out where Santa goes on Christmas Eve, and... Uh, he uh, will distribute gifts to all the good little girls and boys out there. So, the United Kingdom spends up to 48 million pounds on Christmas pudding. Did you guys know that? That's a lot of money. Traditional British dish, it's a staple on the Christmas table. It has to be on there. Uh, the Brits always make sure to make uh, have a fire extinguisher around during the flaming brandy ritual just in case now here's one more on christmas day in japan people eat kfc instead of turkey and the unusual tradition dates back to 1974 when a kfc in japan received a strange request for someone to dress up as saint nick and deliver if you can believe it buckets of fried chicken to a nearby christmas party and it caught on. It became a hit. It prompted KFC to launch its Christmas campaign uh, shortly thereafter. The orders now have to be booked two months in advance and lineups stretch out on the streets in Japan to near rocket, rocket, rock concert uh, size and, and uh, just around Christmas time quite often. Isn't that crazy? Um, that is. Those are some wow. interesting hey, facts. KFC the last thing I would want. What's that? Was that uh, curly KFC shoes? Is the last, KFC is the last thing I would think of to have on Christmas for a no meal. No kidding. No kidding. I agree with you on that. 
Okay. Sushi. Sushi. For Christmas? That would be better. <clears throat> Sushi. Those Indiana people, especially that mistletoe belt buckle guy, he, he's got some weird, weird concoctions. So, speaking of weird, we got a great song. Yeah, what's, what's, what's with that guy in the belt buckle with his mistletoe hanging out? What the hell is that all about? Not sure. Not sure. We got a great song. <laughs> Grandma got run over by a reindeer by the Irish Rovers on your Highway Freaks Christmas edition. Grandma got run over by a reindeer walking home from our house Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa. But as for me and Grandpa, we believe She'd been drinking too much eggnog And we begged her not to go But she left her medication And she stumbled out the door into the snow When they found her Christmas morning At the scene of the attack there were hoof prints on her forehead And incriminating claws marks on her back Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now we're all so proud of Grandpa been taking this so well See him in there watching football Drinking beer and playing cards with Cousin Mel It's not Christmas without Grandma All the family's dressed in black And we just can't help but wonder Should we open up her gifts or send them back? Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Now the goose is on the table And the pudding made of face And a blue and silver candle that would just to match the hair in Grandma's wig. I've warned all my friends and neighbors. Better watch out for yourselves. They should never give a license to a man who drives a sleigh or plays with elves. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Walking home from our house Christmas Eve. You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe Grandma got run over by a reindeer Walking home from our house Christmas Eve You can say there's no such thing as Santa But as for me and Grandpa, we believe
his grandma got run up by a rain, run over by a reindeer, and uh, it was a great song by the Irish Rovers. Um, it's a great Christmas drinking song, and uh, it was fun for the whole family. And I think they made a few music videos of that in in various uh, various genres. Okay, tonight I'm going to discuss uh, what Christmas means to everybody, and I'll I'll bring the panel in to or the the snow crew in for uh, some discussion on this. But basically what I see Christmas is, is you've got what Christmas means to the kids, and then what Christmas means to the adults, and what Christmas means to the church, what Christmas means to the different cultures, and what Christmas means to the materialistic uh, side of Christmas. And just on how everything is so different from, from the different age groups and what you were brought up with, um, what your parents uh, did for their, you know, fun things like, you know, leaving cake or cookies or corn on the cob out for, 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 for Santa or whatever they were leaving out for him. And it just became a, a personal choice thing, uh, sort of overshadowed by the whole co concept of you know, Christ being born and that kind of thing. So, um, my question to the panel would be, what is the difference between what Christmas means or what Christmas meant to you as a child versus what Christmas means to you as an adult? Now, let's start with uh, Short and Curly Grin. <laughs> oh, well, growing up, I mean, I talked a little bit about the Ukrainian traditions and Christmas has always felt kind of magical and growing up because I was in a Catholic household it was quite religious we went to church and stuff um, and we you know had our, our traditions at, at the meal and when you open gifts and like I we always opened on the 24th and then there was, the Santa gift would be there on the 25th and uh, now as an adult it still has that magical feeling to it because I love the all the twinkly lights and you know I've got my Christmas lights up all over I've got two trees in my house and and decorated it's got that peaceful magical feeling but it is so commercialized um, I can't stand how it's so it's very materialistic it's very commercialized how everything you know the Christmas decorations and everything start coming out Costco has it out in what July like it's just ridiculous. I don't like that part of it. Um, I don't think we should see anything Christmassy in the stores or anything till after November 11th, after Remembrance Day. That, that's my opinion. Um, I see the religious part of it a little bit different now because I, I follow more Christianity now than Catholic. And um, it still, you know, celebrates Christ's birth and, and, and makes that a special time. So... Um, so yeah, I've, I definitely have changes compared to as Thanks. a kid and as an as an adult now. Okay, I got I do have a question for you. I, I'm a little confused a little bit when you said that uh, you used to be Catholic, but now you follow Christianity. I, I'm confused by that only because isn't Catholic part of Christianity? It, it I think it crosses a little bit. But there are some differences. Um, this is almost getting into a whole nother podcast as to why I, I consider myself a non-practicing Catholic. If that makes sense. Um, 
I just don't agree with some of the things that have happened in the past. I'm trying yeah, to well, no, I agree with all that. I'm trying that, to not get into the religion part too, too much. Um, but, yeah, I, I totally disagree with the things that happened in the past. It's almost an embarrassment. And, uh, right. So that's well, why I kind of... I just brought it up. I just brought it up because not, not that I was challenging anybody's faith, but from what I understand, uh, Christianity is, is the is the conglomerate of, of anybody that believes in God is Christian and that that is Christianity. Yeah. Like I, I believe in God and, and I go to a biker church called the Armory. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating uh, the religion just in a different way. Right. I understand. All right, uh, that's cool. Uh, all right, how about you, Greg? Tell me about your uh, experiences as a young lad versus as a older dude in Christmas time. Yeah, well, you know, uh, of course, yeah, it was a magical thing when I was a kid. I can remember one of my favorite things that we used to do when I was a kid would me and my mom and dad, my sister would go to a to Indiana University with my my aunt and uncle and my cousin and we'd go to a thing called the Madrigal and it was basically it was a it was a kind of a musical show and a big dinner and, and really cool they'd sing the old old uh, uh, English Christmas songs and they would serve figgy pudding or as my dad called it friggin pudding and uh, and uh, They'd have, it'd be a, it was really really good meal on a great big ballroom and anyway that was always fun for me I don't even know if they do that anymore up there since IU's kind of gone downhill um, yeah it wasn't really a religious thing for me um, I'm not a religious person but I totally respect anybody who wants to be. You know, I always say that uh, um, I'll I'll fight for anybody's right to uh, worship whatever they want to. If you want to worship a rock in South Dakota, hey, have at it. It's just not a thing for me. So, uh, yeah, I, I remember I remember the matter goal. That's the thing I really remember. I see. And and did you um, when you, when you became an adult? Did you? Did you find that you changed your uh, overall view of what the real meaning was? Or you always have? No, it's it's. I tell you, I I haven't celebrated Christmas in any shape or form, probably since my dad passed away in 2009. Well, after that, for a couple of years after that, especially after my my sister was murdered, I think things with my family really mm. really changed a lot and i don't yeah. even i don't even decorate anymore well you see there you go that's that's exactly why the topic was brought up is, is how how life can change somebody when it comes to christmas um, yeah yeah our, our family lost. our families used to get you know especially my mom's side of the family we used to get together for every just about every big uh holiday you know christmas and thanksgiving and and whatever we used to always get together here and just after you know after people started passing away it just it just we just don't do it anymore i understand yeah and the other thing that um, crazy corinne mentioned earlier 
was the um, the fact that for a lot of people, uh, Christmas is sad. Uh, there's a lot of depression at Christmas. There's a lot of suicide at Christmas, and um, of course that doesn't happen to children because the whole idea of Christmas was, uh, you know, to make their magical day kind of a thing. But so there's definitely a bitter, sad reality about it too. Um, and I think that most people, even if they don't do a whole lot with Christmas, it's, it's sort of, they just try to uh, get some sort of a, a recognition, I guess, when it comes to like get away from the, the presence and just maybe a recognition of, of, of either the tradition of Christmas or, or the religious side or the family side of getting together. Uh, and as, like we said, for some people, it's not the greatest time uh, for one reason or another, or, or some people just get busy. I, I know myself, I'm on the road a lot at Christmas and, uh, and many Christmases I've spent on the road. Um, so that sort of helps to paint a picture too for a person of how they feel about it. Uh, okay, Bright Guy, what is your uh, situation as a youngster versus as an adult? You mean Santa Guy, Jack Frost GM. You mean Santa Guy, sorry, sorry Santa Guy. Okay. You know, Vincent Actually, Price is going to try to get us for the copyright infringement, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Actually, I think uh, Christmas is for kids. Uh, this is probably one of the very first Christmases that I'm going to be at home, because in the last better part of 27 years, I can say that... <laughs> maybe i was home for christmas maybe two or three times and uh due to me leaving my job and going to a new job in the new year we still haven't decided what santa guy's sleigh is going to be yet that's another story um i just think it's more for the younger kids and you know i do get joy out of seeing them open presents uh, i'm not going to deny that but we don't have a tree up right now um, I think we have a picture of a snowman in the bathroom. Um, you know, uh, we're home together and we're celebrating Christmas together, and that's kind of what's important. Uh, it's not—it's not the gifts. It's—it's it's spending time with your family and the ones that you love the most. So, I think that is more important now than probably it ever has been because of what's gone on in the last couple of years with the pandemic and, you know, the crazy stuff that's going on with the, the war and Hamas and Israel and how they're fighting and the political upheaval. So it is kind of a quiet Christmas for us, but I think that's really kind of special in its own right. And do you think that... Um... You when you say you think about kids for Christmas, uh, so do you think that 200 years ago when they had Christmas that there was a larger sense of uh, family and religion uh, and tradition that has been sort of masqueraded now by just presents, 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 spend money, stress, everybody's running around. You know, do you no. think that, that, that the whole concept of Christmas has been tarnished? Yep. Oh, yeah, 100%. Because it's the commercialized uh, idea, you know, that it, you got to have three or four presents per, uh, presents per kid. And which I think is not right. I mean, just one good present for a, a child uh, can 
you know, light up their life just having four or five different presents. I think, like, yeah, it has com got, gotten completely commercialized, and that's unfortunate. But once again, it is for, you know, the grandkids. And, you know, if you have grandkids like I do, that's what you like to see is, you know, them kind of enjoying their Christmases. But for me, I'm not going to be Grinch about it, but it's to me, it's just another day at this point. I mean, it's nice, like I said, to spend time with my dogs, you know, and, and my wife, not necessarily in that order, don't get me wrong. Um, but we've had a really terrible, terrible last two weeks of something that, that has never hit us before in our lives. And uh, that, I don't know if it's H1N1 or COVID with the flu, who knows? But I'm over it now. Uh, Terrell's just getting over it. And um, if it weren't for the dogs, you know, they, they would probably uh, have gotten sick themselves, I'm sure. But dogs don't catch it like, like humans do, so. All right, all right. And now the other question I have is, do you think in the current environment that we live in, do you think that most kids even know who baby Jesus is? No. Nope. Not nope. at all. No. No, that's what I was going to say. You know, you're talking about the commercialization and, and so forth, but down here, and I don't know about up there, but man, the whole thing about not saying Merry Christmas and saying Happy Holidays is, is a big thing now. They don't, nobody wants to talk about the religious part of it because it's like oh you know it's so bad blah 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 you know there's there's other religions that don't celebrate christmas and so forth well whatever just don't celebrate it you know let people yeah. do what they want to do i say yeah. merry christmas i don't i haven't stopped i, I do not... too what about you Pav? Well, we should ask pav uh I'm you know ask pav. itl now, I was going to ask you the same question, you know, because you, you were born in India. So the question I have for you is, is what was, I'm not sure if your religion is Hindu or a Sikh or, you know, or I'm Catholic. Sikh, but, or... Uh, I'm Sikh, but I know Hindu as well. Muslim. Yeah, just go ahead. Ask me this noise. So what was your Christmas like as a child? Did it have the similar connotations as North American Christmas or was it a completely different thing? Uh, it's completely, totally different, man. Like, okay, so in Sikhism, the I would call this time as the bad time, okay? Because right. uh, uh, from, so we have 10 gurus, so how many, like, it's kind of hard for me to explain, but the 10th one, the main one, he is like went through a lot. He lost his four sons, grandma, grandpa, just to protect the religion, you know? So for us, it, it was more kind of like a, so we don't celebrate anything in that kind of time. Even people stop doing like festivals like even we don't have any marriage like anything related to happiness we don't do that thing you know from no end of november till middle january you know oh really so so yeah. you really uh so you didn't celebrate christmas at all so uh, uh, yeah was there a sort of a time in the year that was kind of there like a parallel to a christmas year like was there a happy time of year that everybody celebrated that would be Kind of yeah. to our so between January till November, we have a lot of festivals, okay? And the main one is like in the 
middle of September. That's more kind of like a festival of lights for us. We'll put like fireworks okay. and everything. So that's more kind of like a Christmas to us. We do like uh, right now when I'm like in Canada and all. In India, we have like more than one week holidays for Christmas still, because you know like from the back in time when the British was there, we're still following the same rules. So in the schools and work, they still have the Christmas holiday. But those people who are sick, they don't celebrate. But every other religion, they don't have any problem. But they celebrate. Okay, so this is a good question. This is a good question. Now with the influx of people into Canada and the USA and abroad, yeah. Now you've got generations of Indian people that are the whole concept of the, yeah. the Sikh religion. As 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 the generations come, it gets watered down, right? So my yeah. question is: Do the old, do the elders in the Sikh religion that like your parents or or you or whatever? Do you uh, do you discourage your children from celebrating Christmas? Is it kind of like a is it kind of like a knock on the Sikh religion, or is the watering down of of that whole concept welcomed by the younger generation? So it's like totally two different things. Like I still celebrate Christmas because. That's nothing to do with what happened in my religion, right? That that's totally different. I see. Yeah. So see. Uh, we still do some decoration in Canada, but not that much. That much you guys like do the obviously. I see. But but uh, deep down, still uh, as um the youngest guy in the house, like I still know everything about the religion because it's the roots, right? You don't want to forget them. So in the new generation, I still want them to remember everything. But if they're celebrating Christmas on a separate, I don't think I should have a problem with that, you know. Yeah. And do you find that, uh, like, like in Christianity, for example, mm-hmm. um, as the as the the generations move forward and less and less people, as you know, children start you know going to Sunday school, do you have the same problem in the Sikh religion where, as the generations come forward and they become watered down with Canadian culture, do you find that those kids? Are more distant from the Sikh, uh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. values. Okay, so just for example, back in like 20 years ago, you probably saw more people with turbans, and next 20 years you will see even less people, more than half, who even wear turbans. You know, because is that the right? new timing and everyone is gonna like following the new. Uh, how can I say like? Trends, fashion, everything—they're like they want an easy life. They just kind of like because following a religion is hard. Okay, right. it's not easy. Take any religion; none of them are easy to follow. So they want easy life. They want to stay up to date and all. Even people I know here, like from India, who moved here, they they don't have turbans anymore. They cut their hair. In Sikhism, you're not allowed to cut your hair. Okay. So how but, do the elders feel about that? Do the elders think that coming to Canada was a mistake? Yeah, they, so if you are go to the third generation, like for my grandpa, yeah, absolutely, yeah. they hated. The only thing, yeah. like, like when when we arrived to Canada and we start working and hard and earning money, they were happy. But when they saw that with the new culture and everything, we are changing and we are like changing the ways of living, that's where they have yes. a problem. So the elderly, they don't want. Like kids to grow up here, so what they do yeah, is they start forcing their children back to like India, so that they can stay in the culture and learn, so that the Western culture will not gonna impact them that much. But with the generation, it probably next 20 or 30 years, mark my word, you will see like 
more than half of the six without turbans you know uh, i think that i think that there's a bit of a I mean, probably not just in the Sikh religion but possibly in the muslim religion too yeah that there's a there's a backfire they weren't yes. counting on the new generations of of muslims or sikhs or hindu they weren't or or from china you know different things like that they weren't counting on the the generations watering down and becoming less like like them and more like their new culture because that's where they were born right so yeah i think that there was a bit of a backfire there that people didn't count on maybe that's across all religions too yeah yeah like, exactly yeah but the, by the time things are impacting you know like everything is like uh, it's it's obvious man when you see something shining you want to go for it you know yeah that's and right. that's what's yeah. happening with the kids and everything now they saw the new lifestyle and all even the kids they want to be up to date with everything so following going to gurdwara every day or for like muslims praying five times a day they 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 don't want to keep doing that thing you know they want to have fun and all and with, with friends so it's more of like so just say like me right now i'm following like 50% compared to my family who was following 70% my kids gonna follow 30% and then by the time yeah. it, it will all gonna go down you know yeah the everything gets watered down and yeah. and the reason i asked those questions was because it was it was in reference to my exact question do you think kids you know that are in the christianity do you think a lot of them even know who baby jesus is and then the same thing could be said with the, the with the elders in the cultures like yours is yeah. that shit gets watered down and somehow gets lost and 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 i don't think it makes some of the people very happy Yeah like in Sikhism we just like you guys said Jesus we have like 10 gurus okay there were 10 mm-hmm. 10 of them and if you ask the today generation they don't even know the names of all of them right exactly yes yeah that that's obviously what it known is the thing you know like by the time oh. game and keep going down and it's even where it's even worse for your culture because yeah you'll find as the generations get watered down the kids won't even know how to speak indian yeah absolutely if you see Uh, like how i speak but like in hindi or punjabi compared to the kid who's born here there's a lot different you know and their kids probably will not going to even know the language properly and by the third or fourth right. generation maybe gone you know do you find uh, as as the generations get are getting watered down i know it probably wasn't like this in the past but as the generations get watered down are you finding more and more mixed marriages now between whites and blacks and chinese with indians and is that something that has taken a while to get used to as well or what do you think the situation is there everything like in yeah so i don't want to say about india and all this like our places kind of more but like backward societies they don't want to uh, get married in a different caste and color and right. all but right now like from last five to ten years as the generation starts yeah. coming to canada yeah it's more acceptable here but still in our side it's not not right yeah. and as the generations continue it's going to become be, yeah not even an issue yeah so it's it's, it's, it's kind of a back like, like i was saying it's kind of like a backfire it's like wait a minute we yeah. didn't think about this part <laughs> yeah right yeah and uh in okay i i don't think we should talk but like right now the whole lgbt society as well it was not acceptable yeah, yeah. back in india but right. right now once it's too much going on in like western countries indian people are coming up as well 
so now they have to accept it accept it and they never thought this thing on earth right so yeah, yeah this is big changes exception. yeah it's big of them man right honestly like when i grow up there i watching people who's getting married in a different caste it, it used to be a, like a hassle for them to handle the families and all you know sometimes the mm-hmm. things were that further that the families go to like kill their kids you know if they even yeah. not what they're saying but now terrible isn't it yeah yeah, yeah it's very very different and, and like i said yeah. it's it's uh it's part of it's part of assimilating to a new culture like that that like you said everybody's so focused on the bright and shiny that they forgot yeah. about the traditions that that uh like are right for them but as their children and their children and their children the traditions become less and less and they start you know uh assimilating to a new culture that's that that the elders don't even recognize yeah so the same way anyway, yep hey well, that was my questions on tonight all right was good man. as as always a controversial but interesting christmas topic that our gm uh jack frost uh picked himself that uh huh. went oh, to uh different lengths <laughs> That's for sure. Um, speaking of different lengths, a couple more interesting facts. I want to tell you about the historic St. Nicholas. Um, the original inspiration for the famous Santa Claus figure from the generous Christian Bishop St. Nicholas. During his life, St. Nicholas helped the poor and needy by giving money to those in need. He also saved falsely accused prisoners and helped nurse the sick. After he passed on, stories about his kindness inspired the jolly and bubbly character of Santa Claus, as we all know him today. In Dutch, his name was Sinterklaas, which morphed into Santa Claus. And Santa did always not look like the way he was portrayed, by the way. The original depiction of Santa Claus was a thin and spooky older man dressed in Norse huntsman animal skin. The original look was created by Civil War cartoonist Thomas Nast, who continued altering his image every Christmas over the last 30 years of, of his life. So um, that is uh, interesting in itself. And uh, by the way, it wasn't until the 1920s when the Coca-Cola company got involved, they began Christmas advertising Santa Claus in a more popular, happier image, dressed in a big red suit with red rosy cheeks, a rotund belly with a long white beard, holding what you guys all know is a bottle of Coca-Cola. So there you go. There's some interesting Christmas facts. Uh, We got a great Christmas song from Faith Hill. It's called Where Are You Christmas? And it's from the Grinch movie, originally with Jim Carrey. And here it is on the Christmas edition of Highway Freaks. Why have you gone 
Mistletoe belt buckle with you for the Christmas special. And tonight I'm going to read you a short little bit here that I found online that's really, really, I thought was pretty interesting. And it has to do with the 1914 Christmas truce, uh, which was during World War I. Uh, interesting story. There's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy about the story. Some people think it didn't really happen, but there are quite a few, quite a few uh, historical writings from people who said, "Yeah, because I was there, it did happen." And it was actually it was a it was made into a made-for-TV movie in 2002 called The Christmas Truce. So I'm just going to read a little interesting 
interesting piece here for you about it. I know, not a real Christmassy story, but I thought it was pretty interesting and some people might find it. So war had already been waging in Europe for months when Pope Benedict issued a plea from Rome on December 7, 1914 to leaders of Europe, declare a Christmas truce. Of course, I said the war had really been going on for a long time and if you know anything about World War I, it was one of the nastiest, nastiest wars we've had yet. Hopefully, we don't have any more. Benedict saw how badly peace was needed, even if it was only for a day. The first battle of Ypres alone, fought from October 19th to November 22nd, had resulted in some 200,000 casualties, mostly German and French soldiers, but also thousands of English and Belgians. The first battle of the Marne was even worse. In light of this carnage, the Pope asked that the guns may fall silent at least upon the night of the angels sang. The European leaders, of course, ignored this. Then something miraculous happened on Christmas Eve from no man's land, the area between the trench works of Allied and Central Forces and German troops in a spontaneous act, but down, put down their weapons and invited English soldiers to celebrate Christmas with them. It's remembered today as the Christmas truce. The British cartoonist Bruce Barnesfather was one of many who chronicled the event. A machine gunner and the 1st Battalion of the Royal Warwickshire Regiment, Barnes' father was shivering in the muck of a three-foot trench on a cold night, munching on stale biscuits and chain-smoking, when he heard a noise at about 10 p.m. And this is via history, this is from his, what he chronicled. It says, I listened, he recalled. Away across the field, among the dark shadows beyond, I could hear a murmur of voices. He turned to a fellow soldier in his trench and said, Do you hear the Bochis? Which is what they called German soldiers then. Kicking up that racket over there. Yes, came the reply. They've been at it for some time. The Germans were singing carols as it was Christmas Eve. In the darkness, some of the British soldiers began to sing back. Suddenly, Barnes' father recalled, We heard a confused shouting from the other side. We all stopped to listen. The shout came again. The voice was from enemy soldiers. Speaking in English with a strong German accent, he was saying, Come over here. After some back and forth talk, British troops laid down their weapons climbed out of their trenches, crossed the barbed wire, and joined the Germans. They traded handshakes and songs. They chewed tobacco and drank wine and laughed together. These men who earlier that day had been doing their best to kill each other. Some accounts describe German and British soldiers playing football or soccer, as they call it over there, on makeshift fields. Others mention British soldiers setting up barbershops and offering haircuts to exchange for cigarettes. The one thing all accounts have in common is a general feeling of merriment among the soldiers. There was not an atom of hate on either side, Barnes' father recalled. Afterwards, 
not everyone was pleased with the gaiety. Some military leaders reportedly seethed over the Christmas truce, but Barnes' father suggests the soldiers themselves cherished the moment which they sorely needed. For those who participated, it was surely a welcome break from the hell they had been enduring. When the war had begun six months earlier, most soldiers figured it would be over quickly and they'd be home with their families in time for the holidays. Not only would the war drag on for four more years, but it would prove to be the bloodiest conflict ever upon up to the time. I've always found the Christmas truce moving and also telling. While the leaders of Europe may have loathed one another, the German and English people clearly did not. At least, not once, they met one another. On that Christmas night, the nationalism that had divided German and British soldiers evaporated when they met face to face, traded, laughed, drank, and discovered their common humanity. I recently read Steel and Nate's Silent Night, the story of the Christmas Truce, a new children's book written by Roy McGrath. To my young, this is the guy that wrote this piece, to his youngest son. He had many questions, but mostly he wanted to know why the soldiers were fighting in the place. I suspect many soldiers, Belgians and Germans, French, Englishmen and beyond themselves wondered the same thing many times during the war. I didn't have a good answer for him, he said, but I thought on the matter some, some sense and I think Christmas truce holds a clue about why we fight. People who for weeks and months had been shooting and bombing one another found themselves laughing, singing, and trading. And they did so because they defied their orders. Defied their orders. The sad truth is nation states, which throughout history have done a magnificent job of convincing humans that people they never met are their enemy, often are not particularly interested in peace. War is the health of the state, the radical writer Rudolf Born famously noted. The truth is waging war is what government does best, and the people who wage them and win are the ones lauded in the history books. The losers, of course, are not, which makes winning a war that has begun all the more important. I don't wish to oversimplify something as serious and terrible as war, but I do wish to demonstrate there is another way. The Christmas truth shows us that peace is achieved by rejecting statism and nationalism and collectivism in all forms. It is won by embracing our common humanity, the thing that bring us together. Even bitter enemies can become friends when we reject violence and see people as they truly are, as individuals, especially on Christmas, a holiday that celebrates the birth not of a conqueror, but of a lamb. The British and German troops who on Christmas Eve enjoyed one night of joy amid the carnage in 1914 could attest to that. And I think this story that I just read you can't 
I mean, it has everything to do with the times we're in right now. How many, how many wars do we have going on right now across the world that really don't need to happen? None of it needs to happen, but it's all for fat cats with the money and power. It's got nothing to do with. I think generally humans are nice people, and it's unfortunately the fat cats and the powerful guys that goes back centuries and centuries. Just yeah, kill yourself. Ex throw exactly. Yourself out there. Yeah, people people get sent off to fight for people they don't even know. And for not even a reason that they don't and for reasons they don't even know. And you're gonna give up your wife and children so that you can make some fat cat his crazy powerful power hungry decision you know the whole thing with that whole it's a phenomenon i was quite interested by that story because it really shows you the the human spirit does trump greed and power and and all the things that these guys want us to die for yeah exactly crazy but that's what i got it's interesting how interesting. they were fighting each other one one second and the next they're sitting down celebrating together. Happened with the with the cowboys and Indians too. Yep. I don't think it's every like all the if you don't just use the word soldiers as a general word. All the soldiers that are doing all the fighting, I don't think any of them really want to be there. For the most part. None of them. They well, just, propaganda. Very look few. At Vietnam. Look at Vietnam, Greg. Jesus. Oh, and yeah. Guys, that was... You know, terrible. I mean, a lot go to fight. They fight for their country, and that's, I mean, I respect that, and that's, uh, that's a big uh, a giving of yourself when you do that, for sure. But that's, but that's where Vietnam got messy, is yeah. people started to say, wait a minute, what are we fighting for? Yeah, exactly. My dad was in the army between Korea and Vietnam, and he got asked to join the Green Berets and go to Southeast Asia, is what they called it then. And and he was like, uh, "No, <laughs> I I yeah. know I know exactly what's going to happen." He said, "Oh well, you're just right. going to go over there and be an advisor." He's like, "Yeah, right, whatever." Yeah. I've often wondered what would happen. I mean, Mark, I mean uh, Greg could be a good person to answer this, especially if you've got military background in your family. If, if the, let's say, this hypothetically, the, this thing with Iran and, you know, Palestinians and the Israelis and all this, let's say this escalated. They're, they're doing it in the Ukraine right now. Conscription they have in the Ukraine. And what happened was they took all their, and, and maybe Karim uh, can chime in on this. They took all their able-bodied, strong men, and they were all sent to war to die, and most of them did. So then they started conscripting the older men and the younger boys, and that's what's going on now, and they're just going in to die. My question is, what would the American people say if they, or any Canadian people, that what would they say if the government said, we need you to go to, we, we, we need you to go to work? What would the American people say? Would there be a rebellion or would they yep. fall in line? I think it would be, I think it would be a split. 
really. I think you would have a lot of people, your typical people who are gonna, who are gonna, who are gonna throw a big fit about it and and go out and they're gonna they're gonna protest and they're gonna do sit-ins and whatever you know like vietnam yeah burn their burn their draft cards and yada 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 and then you're gonna have a a group of people who are gonna say yeah let's go you know if we have if if this is something we need to do i think it would be more likely that you would see a lot of especially americans would would really stand up and take up arms if it was if if it's something directly going on here if it was overseas it might be a completely different story yeah i think if if our if our freedom was challenged by uh, the shores by the russians or chinese or whatever i don't think politics would come into play i think americans would stand arm in arm regardless of their color race or religion personal politics that would come first if they had to fight for their sovereignty but like you said i don't think that the general average joe nowadays especially with all the internet information out there would sign up to just go and get i'm going to be shot and dead in a week or less i don't think that they'd sign up for that yeah not not to go overseas and do it no it it just wouldn't happen i mean we did have people from from here who went to the ukraine and 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 helped out for quite a while i if, right. i tell you if probably if it hadn't been for you know me having to take care of my mom and so forth and my age and my health and so forth i mm-hmm. i would have probably gone too to do to do battle yeah to 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 fight the russians sure yeah that just i just wondered so you think that a lot of people would would not challenge the conscription Again, yeah. again, it depends on the situation. If it, it, yeah. If, yeah. if it was directly to to fight for our homeland, for our country, right here, the states, yeah, I think I don't think you would see as much of a of a fuss as you would if it was like, oh, we're we're going to have to draft you and we're going to send you to Israel or we're going to send you here or wherever. Well, they surely didn't, the, the governments didn't learn anything from Vietnam. Look what they did with Iraq. Well, again, Iraq, well, yeah, Iraq is, is a touchy subject. I mean, Afghanistan, Afghanistan yeah. was a different, whole different story because they right. directly attacked us right here. But yeah, right, Iraq, right. Iraq was perpetrated upon a, a lie and that's been proven. Yeah, which is the uh, craziness, but... I should anyway, say I should uh, say the second the second Iraq war was perpetrated yeah. in a lie. The first one, Absolutely. you know, was was to was to help uh, uh, a nation that we were very close right. with. Right. Well, I enjoyed, your, uh, I enjoyed your topic, man. Do I? What'd you say, Corinne? Oh, sorry. Do they? learn anything from any wars because they just keep happening over and over well you gotta understand that i mean take the middle east for example how long have they been fighting each other there you know thousands and thousands of years ever yeah we're to compared to them the united states and canada are are just babies Yeah, it's all the whole concept of 
Well, we we're kind of we're kind of spoiled here. We've never, other than the Civil War, we've never really had to experience that kind of loss on our own shores. So the generations after the Civil War, of course, was World War One, World War Two. Like Corinne is saying, we didn't learn a damn thing because it really just came down to fat cats, you know. I mean, what they should have done, or if they could have, is assassinate Hitler, and that'd have been. They could have maybe caught that, nipped that thing in the bud before it ever took hold. But yeah, I think, sorry. Now you go ahead. Dude. It seems it seems humans have this this born in or Brit this. This, this desire, especially ones that have desire for money and power, to basically just conquer each other. It's the craziest thing. Yeah, uh, you know, you can look at World War One and World War Two and kind of look at that a different way. Is you know, definitely it was fighting a an evil. You know, it was fighting tyranny there. But then you, yeah. you you get to Korea and things start to change a little. It's oh the the evil red horde, and then especially yeah. Vietnam, it became yeah. oh it's the evil red horde, you know. And it, it was kind of it was a way for them to get everybody whooped up into a fury and say yeah we got to go over there and, and fight the evil red horde and well, mm-hmm. you know yeah okay whatever. And then 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 the Middle East same same idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, you're, we're dealing with some some people that definitely want to put the hurt on us, for sure. But I've often said, you know, and I, and I sort of don't, I don't challenge the, the the big decisions of the U.S. But I'll tell you one thing: if a bunch of foreigners came into, let's just pretend I lived in Indiana, a bunch of foreigners came into Indiana, and basically annihilated my town and probably 80% of the people I knew were murdered I'll tell you what Americans would be furious too you know what I mean like, oh, yeah. I, I, I mean, sort of feel yeah. sorry for some of the people over there that it's no wonder they want to put a hurt on us look what, look what they lost yeah I mean it's you can look at you can look at it many many different ways and yeah look at look at it from you can lag at it from your perspective you can look at it from their perspective you can look at it from the perspective of other people and that's when it really starts to get convoluted and you don't know who to believe remember that movie red dawn with patrick swayze i think that was a story about the russians attacking american soil and how everybody stood together to defend itself i think that's correct yeah, it was uh, no the the original Red Dawn. There was a remake of it that was just oh, crap. Was it? It was, yeah, it was crap. Don't watch it. Oh, um, but the original, yeah, the original was basically it was Russia and uh, Cuba and several South American South American countries that got together and and attacked the United States. It's actually a pretty good movie. It was. Anyway, I enjoyed your topic. Uh, yeah, you really did. Thank you. Very good. Very good. Oh, Santa. Santa guy. 
Santa baby. I was just letting you guys talk. So, you know, it's always good to have uh, opinions from somebody other than your Santa guy. Okay, so um, some more stuff. Boxing Day is only celebrated in a few countries. They are the United Kingdom, Australia, Canada, and New Zealand. And the, the uh, tradition date dates back to the 1800s when the rich would let their servants have a day off to go home. In the UK, Europeans watch soccer ma um, soccer matches. They eat leftover turkey sandwiches and eat copious amounts of chocolate cake to celebrate December 26th as well. The first Christmas crackers were actually made in 1847. Their London-based baker and confectioner Tom Smith invented the Christmas cracker in 1847 after being inspired by French candies and a crackling log fire. Here's something I'm gonna ask you guys. Okay, so how many homes does Santa visit, okay, at 650 miles a second? Okay, that's fake news. No, no, this is this is calculated. This ain't fake news. Okay, so how many homes do you think he visits at 650 miles a second when he's out there with his reindeer? Because you know Santa has the the idea of tra time travel. We all know that he can time travel. Right, he can go literally through one time zone to another. So, how many homes at 650 miles a second do you think he visits? Anybody got a guess? You mean the entire entire night or just within a set amount of time within a second at 650 miles oh. in a second oh. a million greg or, or i should say mistletoe belt buckle wow i couldn't even guess the answer is surprisingly 822 homes that's what he visits in one second so that's how fast Sandy is so now yeah. speaking of I've believed records, a lot of things in my life but that ain't one of them okay speaking of world records gm the largest gingerbread house ever made in texas anybody got an idea how many feet it was long length width and height Let's take a quick gander, see who, see who comes closest. So, 300 this is in 2013. Wide and 80 feet tall. Okay, that's uh, GM Jack Frost. Okay, go ahead. There, mistletoe belt, belt buckle. What's your your educated guess? Uh, 100 by 100. Okay, and how about you there, curly shoes, Corinne? Oh, goodness. Uh, 500 by 300 by... Oh, how would you go? 500 again. Who knows? Okay. And how about you, <laughs> IT elf there, Pav? I guess he's not even close to any of them, so I would just go with Karen. Okay. It was 60 feet long, 42 <laughs> feet wide, and 101 feet tall. So that is the that, largest gingerbread that house. And that could... And... Hold on, we're not done. It amounts to a whopping 1,110.1 cubic meters as well, which is 35.8 cal million calories. That's all. <laughs> That's all. Wow. Now, spider well, webs. A house, 
Who would have thought spider webs I, were related to Christmas? I always thought they were related to Halloween, but not Christmas. And where this started was in Eastern Europe. And the legend of the Christmas spiders is an Eastern European folktale. A poor widow who couldn't afford to buy gifts for her children on Christmas, and it caused tiny spiders to decorate the tree with webs at night because they felt sorry for her. From that point on, people would have decorated their Christmas trees with decorative webs, shiny tinsel, and colorful spiders. Isn't that wild? Jingle Bells was the first Christmas song played in space. GM. Okay. Nice. Yeah, you're going to say something. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I always thought spider webs were were invented by, were found first in my great-grandmother's bloomers. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Here, hold on here. Got to do something here. (laughs) Cool. All right. So during NASA's... um, during NASA's Gemini 6A spaceflight on the 16th of December 1965, a Christmas song was played. In fact, it broke a Guinness World Record for being the first song played in space. Astronauts played a joke to Mission Control, stating that they could see an object traveling at a low trajectory from north to south. This then followed a rendition of the famous Christmas song, Jingle Bells, and that's how it got played in space. Okay. Now, this one is controversial. So, GM, you're going to probably love to get in on this one. Christmas wasn't always on December 25th. The actual date of the big day was lost in history. There's no mention of December 25th in the Bible uh, as Jesus' actual birth. Many historians say Jesus was most likely born in the spring. The first official mention of December 25th as a holiday honoring Jesus Christ his birthday appears in an early Roman calendar from A.D. 336 after death. In fact, it is believed by historians everywhere that Jesus was not really born on December 25th. The nativity story contains conflicting um, reminders such as the presence of shepherds and their sheep suggesting a spring birth. Church officials settled on December 25th at the end of the 3rd century. They likely wanted that date to coincide with the existing pagan festivals honoring Saturn, the god of agriculture, the Roman god of agriculture, and Myth, Mithra, the god of light. That way, it became easier to convince Romans and pagans to accept Christianity as the empire's official religion. The celebration of Christmas, however, spread throughout the Western world over the next several centuries. In fact, many Christians continued to view Epiphany and Easter as more important days. Don't ask me what the day of Epiphany is. Maybe it's finding out you got a 2000... 23 Kenworth and you can't fit in it. Anyway, that's another topic. Some, including the Puritans of colonial New England, even banned its observance because they viewed the traditions as the offering of gifts and decorating trees linked to paganism. In early days of the United States, celebrating Christmas was actually considered a British custom. It actually fell out of style following the American Revolution, but in 1870, that Christmas became a federal holiday. Gifts have both been Christian and pagan origins. Christians have grown up learning we give gifts at Christmas to mimic the presence of the three wise men that brought the baby Jesus. The pagans originally gave offerings to their gods too. 
Now we run into evergreens. They're also an ancient tradition. The tradition of Christmas actually goes all the way back to the ancient Egyptians and Romans. A lot of this goes back with Egyptians and Romans, if you haven't picked up on this. They decorated with evergreens during the winter solstice to signify spring would return. Evergreens reminded them of all the green plants that were to grow once the sun returned. And last but not least, before we get into another song, you could thank Prince Albert for your Christmas tree. Prince Albert of Germany got a tree for his new wife, Queen Victoria of England. This tradition really took off across the ocean. It was a drawing of the couple in front of a Christmas tree that first appeared in an illustrated London news in 1848. After that, the publication moved more and more folks towards, you know, to follow the suit. Okay, so when we get back, I'll tell you how hanging stockings started by accident. But we're going to play some Run Run Rudolph, Brian Adams on the Christmas version of Highway Freaks. Christmas, what you just said there. I know, didn't it though? 
That's why I wanted like, to be Mr. Controversy. Totally collapses the whole concept. You might as well just it say does. that Jesus' mother was a Roman soldier, which is probably the case. Mm. Well, you've never seen the, you've never seen the life of Brian, have you? Oh, I've seen the <laughs> life of Brian. Monty Python's life. Oh yeah, of Brian's I love hilarious. That's that's very. Okay. But if if, um, if Christmas, I guess if Christmas, yeah, that was funny shit. That movie. My so this is my question: If it's that easy to collapse the whole good, concept of Christmas's oh, birth, Jesus's birth. If it's that easy to collapse the concept, then how in the world did it sit for 20 centuries? Crazy, isn't it? It really is when you think about it. It really, it truly is. I agree with you. And, yeah. and 336 years went by before they even started up this thing, which, which also goes to prove that the whole concept of religion was based on a false. Uh, well, it centered. It situation. centers around the the gods. It centers around the gods, and the, I'm glad you said that, GM, because that the paganism and the Christian thing and everything it kind of gets mixed up when you when you when you start going through history because it originally goes back to the Roman gods, and you know you have to appease the gods, and by appeasing the gods you center some of that christmas stuff around it but in in reality because they you know some of the uh, the uh, proof that you just had regarding the shepherds and the sheep in the spring it does actually make sense when you think about it that jesus wasn't born on december 25th so what do you think i know, I know you've we're... got some religious ideals i want i want to hear your opinion yeah. on this i've not heard about uh jesus's birth being not in December, like being a, a spring one. We always associated the spring with um, like Easter, and which was his death on the cross and resurrection. But so nowhere in the Bible, they say nowhere in the what Bible does it state his actual resurrection. Oh, oh sorry. Okay. You're 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 changing my words, GM. Okay. So nowhere in the Bible. Does it actually state his birth? Or if you can find it, please read it out to me because it, yeah. you know, I did some research on it and I couldn't find it. And I'm not a it's religious guy. But if it's not stated in the Bible, and isn't the Bible kind of the rule book of Christianity? It's disturbing what you're saying. That it's, it, it, it kind of collapses a lot of things. Well, Santa guy is not always the bright, ho, ho, jolly old self. And sometimes he does get into controversy once in a blue moon, not too often, once. Okay, so, but my, no, my getting, getting back to this, first, getting back to this religious thing, add, what do you think about that, can I add Corinne? something on that? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's an important, it's an important thing. And it's not sacrilegious, but it is important. My father was a professor of theology philosophy and was a United Church minister. And I went 20 years ago or so, I had a CD conversation with a guy who said, ah, the Bible, not even So I came home and I happened to be visiting my dad that weekend and he sat outside and I wanted his opinion on this. I said, dad, what if some of the Bible isn't true? I just had a conversation with a guy in a CD that claimed that a lot of the Bible was false. 
And my father, like I say, remember, he's a minister and a theologian, professor of theology, says, well, yeah, there's a lot of things in the Bible that probably aren't true. For example, Jesus's father was probably a Roman soldier because in those days, that's the way those guys rolled. They just went into town and took whatever they wanted, including women and kids and everything else. He said, so that's quite possibly who Jesus's father was. And somehow over the, the duration of that whole situation, he ended up, you know, in uh, the, the mother with Virgin Mary. So he said, he said, I can handle that. He says, and you can handle that. But then he said, the world can't handle that. That's what my father told me once. Weird, eh? Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to get me into this conversation. We'll be here the rest of the night. <laughs> oh no, we just, we are just kind of skimming by some things. We'll get, we'll get into the hanging the stocking started by accident. I think that's kind of interesting. Um, legend has it that we hang stockings by the chimney with care. One time, a poor widowed man didn't have enough, uh, actually enough money for his three daughters to get married. And um, he prayed, and uh, um, how it kind of worked out is generous old Saint Nick, if you remember him when we talked prior to that, he dropped a bag of gold down the chimney one night into the freshly washed stockings the girls had hung by the fire to dry. So it was kind of by accident that the coins fell into the socks. After that, the tradition picked up steam, and it stuck. And that's why you can hang stockings now by the chimney but i guess if you hang women's stockings you maybe might get some coins i'm not really sure about that part so um uh, i could use some money rudolph <laughs> was in a marking a marketing ploy originally rudolph the red-nosed reindeer appeared in 1939 when the montgomery ward department store asked one of its copywriters to create a christmas story for kids that the store could distribute as a promotion in the first year alone, 2.4 million copies were distributed, and in late 1949, the legendary Gene Autry recorded the song Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. An adorable movie soon followed, featuring the island of misfit toys, Herbie the Elf, which hit our hearts in 1964. And that's how that picked up steam. But a lot of people think that the reindeer have always been named Comet and Cupid and Donner and Blitz, and guess what? No, no, no. They weren't. The eight tiny reindeer originally had names like Rudolph was Reginald or Rolo. Okay, his reindeer crew had lots of names in the past too, including Flossie, Glossy, Racer, Pacer, Scratcher, Freckless, Ready, Steady, and Fireball. So there you go. Um, Christmas wreaths are actually religious symbols. Now, Corinne, you probably knew that, right? A little bit, yep. Yeah, instead of throwing them out, Cut off green, the cut off the greens rather. People would wave excess amounts into these wreaths. The religious significance is that the circular shape and evergreen material of the wreath represent eternal life. The circle, which has no beginning or end, symbolizes the eternity of God, the immortality of the soul, and the everlasting light that we find in Christ. Silent Night is the most recorded song of all Christmas songs. Did you know that there, GM? Jack Frost. I did not. I One did not. Christmas song that's been adapted in more than any other language 
is Silent Night. It's the most recorded song in Christmas history. It had more than 733 different versions and different languages that have been copyrighted and recorded since 1978. Who knew? Silent Night was the most... And I am really kind of find that song kind of, kind of sappy, to be honest with you. But it's actually one of the most popular ones. Um, celebrating Christmas used to be illegal. From 1659 to 1681, anyone caught making merry in the colonies would face a fine for celebrating. The Massachusetts Bay Colony created the penalty for keeping Christmas in one's heart. It was through such festivals that they were they were thought to be superstitious, and they were you know, they, they they were kept in other countries. So there was a great dishonor of God and offense, offense I should say, and others. The penalty for breaking the law was five shillings back then. By the Revolutionary War, the the day had so little significance that Congress even had their first session, December 25th, 1789. Christmas wasn't even proclaimed a federal holiday for another century, proving that. The Grinch's attitude toward the holiday was alive and well before he ever discovered. So, isn't that interesting? And, I... now, this is something I cannot get down. You cannot get me to drink this stuff. I hate it. Yes, we're talking about eggnog. Oh, that is just not oh, right. I love eggnog. What's wrong with eggnog? Oh, I love it. Really? Okay, well, it, it originated in medieval Britain. Most historians agree that eggnog originated uh, back in there because it was known as an upper-class luxury drink, since the ultra-rich were the only ones who had access to milk, sherry, and eggs regarded to make the original version. Okay, Monks in the Middle Ages added figs and eggs and called the drink possette, while the wealthy kept with the simple recipe and used it for toast or big events. Research shows that eggnog most likely became associated with the holidays due to a lack of refrigeration. It then became a drink for the more common person in America due to larger farming opportunities and more access to cows and chickens. And I'm sorry, but my opinion of eggnog is... I don't like the texture. I, 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 I like it. What do you think of coffee? What, what, what? You, Greg? Like How about you there? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'll drink the rum, thanks. With the eggnog. With the, with the eggnog. Okay. Yeah, no, no, just, just the rum. Okay. Just the rum. <laughs> right. Forget now, the eggnog, yeah. Now we're going to get again to the dangerous part of Christmas. It sends 15,000 people to the ER every year. Consumer Product Safety Commission estimates 14,700 people visited hospital emergency rooms each November to December. This is from holiday-related decorating accidents, which is about 240 injuries per day, falling off the roofs, lacerations, back strains. There's that's where you get your your uh, your accidents and and uh, your um, your deaths. So some people have fallen off roofs and died. So. Now, here's something that goes hand in hand with it. Dry Christmas trees spark more than just joy. Neglected dried out Christmas trees start 260 fires in the United States every year, resulting in an average of 12 deaths, 24 injuries, $16.4 million in property damage. According to the Electrical Safety Association, an additional 150 fires are started just because of bad holiday lighting or other decorative lighting resulting in an average uh, amount of uh, proper property damage. Just drop my piece of paper here. Hang on. 
I can attest to that. I've been on several fires that were caused by Christmas trees. I'll bet. Oh, yeah. I'll bet. And, and you, I'll bet the most cause there, Greg, is probably because they don't water the damn tree, right? Yeah, exactly. It was because they didn't take care of the tree and because they didn't take care of their lighting. Yeah, the, the funniest, yeah. the funniest one that I remember is, is the, the dog, the dog in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Snot, I think it was named, and he's drinking yeah. out the tree, and it dries the tree right up. He's just drinking water out of out of the bottom of the tree, and then um, I was it the uncle that goes to light the uh, light the tree. And then it goes up. Is that is that how it goes? I can't. I think he was lighting a cigar, wasn't he? Yes, yes. He lit a cigar, and then all of a sudden the tree goes, and it goes up. Yeah, very, very, yeah, very comical. Um, last year, the U.S. Postal Service processed more than anybody got a guess of mail and packages during the holiday season. This is staggering. I don't know if anybody's even gonna come close to this. So let's see if you guys can guess this. Let's start with belt buckle. Sorry. Oh, it's probably ninety to hundred million. Okay. Oh, really? All right. Jack Frost GM. Sixteen million. Okay. Curly shoes, Corinne. Fifty million. Okay. Okay. The answer is eleven point seven billion pieces of mail and packages. Billion, billion. That's crazy. That's, That's crazy. insane. That's crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't matter. And who would ever have thought, okay, playing cards were involved in the holiday season. There's a reason, and we're going to get into that after Sarah McLaughlin and her winter wonderland on the Christmas version of Highway Freaks.
Okay, so we're back and uh, just ahead of uh, the eye opener, which uh, stay around for that because we have James P. White from Cruise FM Edmonton and he'll be telling you a little bit about his eclectic life. So uh, I did the interview with him and very fascinating guy and uh, we're going to have him on January the 11th and hopefully we will have a couple more new podcast people coming on the scene for 2024 we're all looking forward to that I, I have an interesting christmas music thing to tell you sure go ahead back when i used to work on the ambulance uh, a couple of times we transported a fella to the hospital gentleman's name was bobby helms anybody know who bobby helms is Bobby Helms. Rings a bell. That rings a bell. He wrote and sang the song Jingle Bell Rock. Right. Ah. Right. And you transported him. Yeah, several times. He passed away in a 97, I believe it was. So, uh, oh, yeah. not on your, on your right. No, no, I was, I was, <laughs> I was out of that service. Well, out of that ambulance service at that time, but yeah. A couple of times we took yeah. him in. Super, super sweet, nice guy. He was fun wow. to talk to. Cool. That is very cool. So does anybody know what significance, anybody can guess, what do playing cards have to do with Christmas? Any Not guesses? And where did it start? That's the next question. The only, the only guess that I would have would be some failed attempt at humor, so I have no idea. Okay, and what were you saying there, Curly Shoes? I said it's uh, play game, card games at Christmas time with family. Everybody does play 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 card games, and, and that would be a very good guess. But no, it actually started, if you can believe it, in the German POW camps. And I'll explain this. During World War II, the United States Playing Card Company joined forces with American and British intelligence agencies to create a very special deck of cards. They distributed them as Christmas gifts to soldiers, but they also were actually helping allied prisoners of war escape German POW camps. When they were wet, the cards peeled apart and they would reveal escape route maps. So thus the less amount of POWs in the camps. Is that bizarre? What? Who would have thought That's that? Bizarre. I, I remember hearing that now because it, it, I just watched a, uh the movie the great escape the other day and i was i was thinking about that and see that's where corinne you would get the idea of playing cards because everybody plays cards at christmas so yep. you would always you'd have the the cards from the the history themselves and then that would adapt to the family idea of playing cards because everybody plays cards at Christmas. I mean, I can remember growing up, you know, after our turkey supper and everything and kids were playing with, you know, their, their gifts and stuff, there were the adults and they were at the table. They were playing, you know, rummy or uh, we, we used to play this game called In Between. And um, you would get two cards and you know everybody's dealt cards so you would be dealt the one card you pick up the card and and then you'd say how much do you want to bet and then they go well i'll bet the pot or how much and then you get the next card so you say you got an ace and then you say you got uh because the ace was known as one and then say you got a 12 a queen so you could whatever you bet it if you got a 10 you either won the pot or whatever you bet 
and that was called in between that. So I remember that game. Anybody else remember card games in particular that uh, you want to tell the freaks about? Yeah, uh, one that probably nobody up there has heard of, and not many people in the rest of the United States here. It seems to be an Indiana game, and that's called Euchre. Oh, God, yes. Canadians play Euchre all the time, buddy. Well, it must have slipped up there then, because for the longest time, it was pretty much an Indiana thing. What about Crib? Anybody play Crib? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's another card game. Okay, How about Kaiser? What is it? Kaiser. Chrysler? Is that where you win a Kaiser. car? No. <laughs> no. It's spelled K I think K A I I win the pod, I win the car. <laughs> no, it's I've never a, heard of it's, that. Oh, Ukrainian. It's um similar to hearts. Okay. Okay. I think Bri- the- Brian, have you ever played strip poker? Oh yes. god. Yes. <laughs> have you? Do you have? Yes, I I've done <laughs> poker and that. strip poker. So but Tell us I- about that. I was no, no. I was gonna dissuade that. Um, I was gonna tell you about the one game that everybody seems to love nowadays, and uh, my grandkids love it. Uno. Everybody loves Uno. Wow. Yeah, I remember I've Uno. About it. You've never heard Uno? Did you say I that? I never played it. You've never played Uno, really? That is a great uh-huh. game. That's a great game, and you can have a lot of fun with it. Especially when you're drawing twos and fours, and you know you can have as much as 50 cards sitting in your hand at one time. It, you know, it's it's a blast. You know, it's a fun game. So I'm assuming you want a one. Is that what happens? You need to get a one. No, no. Uno is like you get a bunch of cards. I mean, they all come in different colors. You, you know, it's it's a great game. Uh, how how would we describe that, guys, for GM? You have to. It's just different numbers. Blah 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 blah. You'd have to almost read the instructions, but. It, you want to get down to your last card, then you say Uno. Right, and if you don't say Uno, oh, okay. you got to pick up two cards. So if you forget to say it, and you've got one card, and you don't say Uno, you got to pick up two cards. No. I, yes. I don't. Fully, yes. I don't fully. I don't fully remember how exactly it's played because it's been well, a thousand years since I played it. Maybe in the new year we'll play some Uno live on the podcast. That would be a blast. We could probably do that. You guys all have to have a deck of cards, but we, we could probably figure that out somehow. So, what do you think, Corinne? When the snow comes okay. I think that would be fun. Absolutely. Unless, unless we can find an online version of it, and then we can all actually play the same thing. Or we'd have to go on YouTube to play it, because you'd have to see everybody's cards. So, that's probably where we uh, have to glitch. Okay, so that is a bit of a wrap. We've got some uh, two more songs coming up. One from Northern Lights, Tears Are Not Enough. And we'll play that right now. And then we'll get back uh, with some pylon shout-outs. Christmas pylon shout-outs, so to speak. And uh, then we will play Bob and Doug and, and that off. And then we'll get into the eye-opener interview. So here is the Northern Lights, Tears Are Not Enough. Ethiopia, famine is along each road and at the gates of every town. It's feared close to a million could die within months unless the world responds with a massive relief effort. As every day goes by, how can we close our eyes until we open up our hearts? Learn. 
Let's get into some Christmas pylon shout-outs. 
Uh, they don't have to be Christmassy. I mean, you can certainly talk about a black pylon if somebody pissed you off, or a red, uh, which of course uh, we could say is uh, for the uh, women and the blue for the guys. So let's start with our, our uh, Curly Shoes Corinne. Go ahead. Okay, so I am going to make mine Christmassy. I would like to put the red pylon for Mrs. Claus blue pylon for Santa Claus and the black pylon for the Grinch and all the Grinches out there. Ah, okay. All right. That was very Christmassy. I'll give you that. Okay. How about you there, mistletoe belt buckle? I honestly really don't have any tonight. Okay. I thought you always talk about Trekkie. That's your, that'd be your Christmas Oh, well, well, Trekkie's just a, Trekkie's just a given. Right. Hey. Hey. What about your mom? You must got something to say next to your mom. Oh, well, if she if she turned the she's she's her hearing's really really gone downhill here lately. So she's been keeping her TV turned up to one hundred percent. I call that a black pylon, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I know she can't help it, but boy, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Especially if you're listening to uh, the Golden Bachelor at full steam ahead, eh? <laughs> oh, whatever that is. The Golden yeah, Bachelor—that's that's the Bachelor. <laughs> bachelor at the Golden Bachelor is a guy over sixty that found love. So I didn't really watch it. It caught on. Um, okay, so what about you there, Jack Frost, GM? I uh, don't have many uh, pylons to give out tonight. Probably one. I give a red one to Esther. She retired from taking care of my mother in the nursing home who has dementia. Uh, so she retired today so, or yesterday. So I'm going to give her a red pylon. And I'm going to give the blue pylon to uh, Charlie for getting me a load out of Florida back to Canada. And the black pylon I'm going to give to... Black pylon. Let me give the black pylon to whoever started the first reward. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't have any black pylons until this morning. And I got this nice truck delivered to my driveway, which I thought was going to fit me. But uh, I guess basically this guy neglected to tell me that the Kenworth T680 is for small people. And I'm 6'3", 260 pounds, and I can tell you this, you cannot raise that seat high enough to be able to see over the front of the hood. And he should have known this, and numerous times I asked to test drive this truck, and it just was never available. So, Mark, my friend, and not we're not talking about our podcast, Mark, we're talking about uh, Mark from Powerlease, you really get a black pylon for really misdirecting me and just sinking my cookies this morning because uh, very disappointing. So off it went at one o'clock, and then Powerlease people decided, well, maybe we're just going to see if we can charge him for the pickup and delivery over a thousand dollars. Well, Brian, don't play that. Santa guy doesn't play that. Bride guy doesn't play that, and we basically told them 
in no certain terms are we paying the bounty. So um, we're going to go lease another truck. And I'm sure we will do this in the next week. And then I'll have another story for you. So really, not only does the salesman get the black pylon, but the company does too for the way that uh, they've handled this thing. So hopefully they'll come to the table in the end and they'll just drop this thousand dollar bill that they claim that I owe them. So uh, you, you would die if you had the truck I had. I got a 379 and I got a big visor on the front that comes down half my windshield and these Peterbilt sit low in the hood so big across your eyes you would probably die if you had to try, try, try to drive one of these. I probably would. I'm just, I'm a big guy and I like a big truck. Real simple. So yeah. Um, very, 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 I'm really simple that way. And I discovered after 27 years of being a long haul truck driver that the Freightliner Cascadia is the truck for me. Say what you want about it. It's got great space. It's very comfortable and, um, it's my kind of truck. So that's the truck I'm going after. So uh, as far as the red goes and as far as the blue goes, um, I gotta definitely give a red to Blair at uh, bison because uh i could say officially i've left them now and uh this guy uh, he put it all together and he helped me with my final pay and stuff and and how to get uh, the rsps transferred so the hats off to that guy um i he didn't have to do that but he went above and beyond and um he really actually still made me feel like actually a, a one person that actually cared there so uh, I was very, very impressed with, uh, with Blair. And um, Randine, you get the red one because uh, you sent me the information on the RSPs, which will allow me to finally close the book on having any investments with Bison. And we are, in the future, guys, going to be talking about trucking companies such as them and their dangerous practices that they claim are safe. So we will definitely get into a topic that in the new year. So I'm sure GM, you'll have lots to tell me about on that. And uh, when Mark comes on, I'm sure Motorhead Mark will be able to do that as well. So that's a wrap. That's our Christmas version. We are going to be back on the 28th to do a new year's version of Highway Freaks, where we're going to talk about New Year's traditions and festivities. And we might even get into some New Year's resolutions on our panel of what they expect and would like to see in 2024. So coming up is the last song, Bob and Doug's 12 Days of Christmas. And shortly thereafter, we're going to get into the Eye Opener Show with James P. White of Cruise FM. And uh, you guys, I think, will really enjoy it. So... That's a wrap, and we look forward to talking to you just before the New Year's. Anybody else got anything to final things Merry to say? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Merry Christmas. And GM, you didn't, you didn't even sing the last song to carry us out. I think you should. I think you should do a song, yeah, a Christmas song. I think you should do a Christmas song to take us out. I'll have a blue. Christmas without you. Oh, have a blue Christmas without you. Every time I see 
your pants fall down to your knees. I'll have a blue Christmas without you. Wow, wow. Uh, don't think I ever heard Elvis <laughs> sing that version. But Are you glad you asked now, Brygar? Yeah. So, Pav, I think yeah. you got the final yeah. pylon shout-outs. Are you what? I said you got the final <laughs> pylon shout-out. Okay, like, I don't know. Okay. I thought you guys forget about me, man. I just went for one minute to washroom break and second, you guys forget me. Well, you can, but, you, you can carry on. Sure. Yeah. my uh, This week was a little bit bad. I will give a black one to uh, Affordable's Automobile in Calgary. The worst person in the world. The worst. I don't want to swear, but yeah. He made my day off. Just, I want to get screwed up. But I would say... At the end, we managed, and the red one again to my sister, and the blue one to my gym friend Kushmeet. So yeah, everything else is good, man. All right, perfect. Okay, so Bob and Doug, twelve days of Christmas, and coming up, the eye opener with Bry Guy and my host guest James P. White of Cruise FM. You guys have a great week, and be safe, and may the good news be yours. Okay, good day. It's a Christmas part of the album, and you can play this at your Christmas parties uh, or to yourself on Christmas Eve if there's nothing else to do. Good day, eh? Yeah. In case you thought, like, I wasn't on this part. Oh, I guarantee you, you'd be on. Okay, so good day. This is a Christmas part, and we're going to tell you what to get uh, your true love for Christmas. Look out the window. Where? What are you doing? Snow. What? Oh, it's a great white north. And it's snowing because it's Christmas time. Hey, Hoser, what? here's a quiz. Quiz for Doug. Okay, I have my thinking toque on. Yeah, right. What are the 12 days of Christmas? Just um, figure it out, right? Christmas is when? Uh, the 25th. Right, and what's the 24th? Christmas Eve, right? So that's, that's two. two. And then what's after that? Uh, uh, wrestling day. day. No, Get boxing out. day, yeah, yeah. That's three. I knew. Then what's after that? Nothing. New Year's. Four. And what's New Year's Eve? Five. Okay. Where do you get 12? Uh, there's two Saturdays and Sundays in there. That's four. That's nine. And three other days, which I believe are the mystery days. Oh. Okay, now, this is our Christmas song. In case you don't know what to get somebody for Christmas. There's lots of ideas in here, so listen and don't get stuck. Okay. By the way, that's me on the organ. Okay. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a beer. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtlenecks and a beer. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me three French toast, two turtlenecks and a beer. It should be more there, right? Where? On the fourth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Four pounds of back bacon, three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. Oh, yeah. More. A fifth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me five golden toques, four pounds of back bacon, three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. Okay, on the sixth, the golden Christmas, my true love gave to me six packs of two for five golden toques. 
four pounds of mac three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. Okay. On the seventh day of Christmas, my true love gave for me seven packs of smoke. Yeah. Oh, six packs of food. Five golden tubes, four pounds of mac three French toast, two turtlenecks, and a beer in a tree. This should just be the two days of Christmas. It's too hard for us. Um, go home. Oh, eight days of Trula gave to me. Eight comic books. Seven, seven packs of smoke. Six packs of two for five. And a beer. Yeah, that beer is empty. Okay, day uh, 12. Good day. And welcome to day 12. Yeah. Golden tooth, four pounds of bagging, three French toast, two turtleneck, and a beer in a tree. Where did you learn to do that, uh, albums? So, like, that's our song. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, and good day. Good day. Twelfth day, you could have gotten me a dozen donuts. Go on to the you could have gone down and get some to, presents. Like a uh, good donut shop where if you buy a dozen, you get another one free. And that would have been 13 for the 13 days of Christmas. Next Christmas, get me a chainsaw. Hey. Boy, that song is a beauty. Move. Yeah, I think it ranks up there with Stairway to Heaven. What? Welcome to the Eye Opener with Bry Guy, your host from the Highway Freaks podcast. And this is my stage. I ask the hard-hitting questions, highlighting rock bands from the 80s and sharing a laugh or two. How about celebrities or recent people in the news? Maybe even my trucker brothers and sisters with their stories or unique pets. Animal lovers, charities, or just that odd person out there making the headlines. Or even something totally off the wall. So let's set your sights now to another eye-opener guest. Welcome to the eye-opener, Jimmy. It's great to have you here, my friend. Uh, I've been listening to you now for the past two years on the radio station, Cruise FM. And uh, I just thought, you know, this guy would probably have an interesting life that our highway freaks out there would probably want to share with. And that's why you're on my show today. So welcome. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Okay, great. Um, so let, let's get into the first, let's go back to your childhood growing up in Tabor, Alberta. Uh, we hear a lot of the jokes of Tabor and um, let's start with, you know, uh, your, your very early beginnings. Uh, what was your family like, uh, your home life, that sort of thing. So, Actually, I was born in Winnipeg. Uh, my both my parents were originally from Winnipeg. Uh, when I was a, uh, about six years old, we moved, and we've been in Alberta ever since. I I grew up in uh, Tabor. It's a small town just south of Calgary, and it was it was interesting. Like uh, I'm the only little person in my family. Uh, my my dad's about six foot. My 
moms, both five eight, five nine. I got one brother, two sisters, and I'm the only uh, little person. And uh, I don't know when I was a a young kid. You know, you know how kids they always go, "Oh, I can't do this. I can't do it. I'm too small. I can't do." My dad didn't allow that. I had to. He's like, if you you can't do it like everybody else, but figure out a way to do it. And that's kind of how my dad pushed me from the time I was just little till I was an adult. Is nothing was impossible for me to do. I just had to figure out a different way of doing it. So, so do you want to be referred to as a little person, dwarf, or midget? Because I, 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 I want to make sure this is clear on the beginning. Um, I refer to you as a little person. So what's your height? I'm four foot, even. You're, oh, you're four foot even. Wow. Yes. I'm, okay. Yeah, I'm four feet, and I'm forty nine years old. So okay, the, just to give that now, perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now I know you were t- you were bullied as a kid, as I was too. By the way, I might mention um, what when did that start, and how did you counteract that? Oh, that's a bit of a story. Uh, so it started like basically right from like grade three. I was bullied by guys, girls, whatever, anyone who um, thought I was different or found a reason to make fun of me. And uh, you mentioned earlier, uh, or you asked, which do I prefer, midget, little person, dwarf? Well, technically speaking, um, the type of the condition I have is is a form of dwarfism. It's achondroplasia. And um, little person is politically correct. If you call, uh, most little people would prefer being called uh, a little person. I'm not a fan, but I, but the word midget uh, is a classification as well. But a lot of little people look at it as uh, a derogatory term. Uh, they, it's slang, and even me using it offends people that aren't even little people uh, because it's that harsh of a word. But the reason I use it is kind of one of the ways I've combated against bullying is that word was used as a form of power uh, over me. They'd use, they'd use, say, call me a midget to uh, evoke a reaction, to, to get in my head, to bother me. And so mm-hmm. what I do is I don't use that word. Uh, I use that word and I took power over it. So I call myself one because they, you, can't use, you can't use that word against me. You, there's no power that word has over me if somebody else uses it. That's the way I look at the word midget is I'm not afraid of it. And, and I show people that it's okay. Like You have to give power to a word. It doesn't matter what it is. Even dickhead. If someone, if you, if you're offended by a dickhead and you, and someone constantly calls you it, and because it has power over you, then they're winning. And if you take that away, if it, you don't let it offend you, and you use it as a, as a weapon, as a tool, as a whatever, even to make people laugh, it's, uh, the bully has no power. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's very profound. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. But he, he, here, here again, you have midget at the movies. 
on on your radio station. And uh, go ahead. Actually, until recently, uh, we we actually had to, to change the name of it. We changed it about I want to say about three months ago because other little people were complaining about us wow. using uh, us using the word midget. So right. So even I'm not allowed to use it on air, and I get it. You know, it's the the thing is is just because it doesn't offend me, it does offend other people. So if we at first I was a little annoyed, but I am a little person. I should be able to use it, but. If me using it makes somebody else uncomfortable, then I understand that, yeah, I should stop using it. So it's now called Jimmy at the Movies. And like so we don't reference okay. the word midget at all on air unless well, there's that, a re- unless good. there's a unless there's a reason for it, like a conversation like this. Right. Right. Because, you know, I mean, I know it's all in fun. I know Locke and Grant both, you know, kind of reference you sometimes uh, as your size and whatnot. And and um, I, I guess you must have thick skin because uh, I, I guess it's all done as part of the radio thing. Right. Like or or, or does it bother you? The, the thing is, though, is they don't use it in a malicious way. It's there's a totally difference in in the way that they use it. They because they reference my size quite a bit, but you have to look at it this way: we're on radio. No one knows I'm a little person unless you tell them we're on the radio. Like on your podcast right now, no one has any idea that I'm four feet tall, sitting on a on a stool on the floor in my living room. Like unless you tell them, so. That's the whole part of my shtick in radio is I'm very visually different. I I do a lot of crazy things. I wear crazy costumes. I dress up as a, a leprechaun on St. Patrick's Day and get paid $100 an hour to go to bars for you know, wow. 12, 13 hours a day. Uh, th- that's part of my identity. So them making reference of my size also paints a picture. So when they're talking about me be, uh, me going to a stag ad and stripping, you have the visual of, okay, a little person taking their clothes off at a bar. You know, and it's because the whole thing with radio is you've got to tell a story. No one knows what we look like unless they've met us. Brand new people, like in radio, you always have your regulars, and then you have people, oh, I'm not listening to this station right now. They're bothering me, so I'm going to flip. And they come to us, and they're like, okay, who are these guys? So referencing that I'm a little person, that's a huge part of my identity. Okay. All right. So let's, let's, let's get on another topic. Uh, so you left Tabor at what age, and what, where did you go from there? Okay, so I was about 26. I, what happened was, is I was, um, I went uh, to a basketball game. It was called the Canadian Half Pints. There were a bunch of little people that uh, about, about average my height, like between four foot and about four or eight. And they played basketball. It was like a Harlem Globetrotter style basketball. And they uh, would do fancy tricks and stuff like that. They met me. They said, hey, would you like to give this a try? So I traveled with them for about over four years. I went from coast to coast in this great country of ours, 
uh, most major cities. I've been up into the Northwest Territories. We even did some shows in the States. But not only did we do the basketball, but we also used it as as comic relief for we used to go to schools and talk to kids about bullying. So we we used to first teach them about little people and, you know, our differences from other average people. Even a lot of the little people I worked with, we all had different types of dwarfism. Like there's over 200 different types of dwarfism. And like I was one type, but like there's there's hydrochondroplasia, achondroplasia, pseudoplasia, like there's 200 of them. And we all are different with different characteristics, like the length of your limbs to how your side, like your width, all that kind of stuff. And so we traveled and talked to kids about bullying and did that for about, as I said, four years. That's that's excellent. And and you continue to do this type of stuff to this very day, right? Yes, that's one thing I really love uh, about being part of radio is is the fact that it, get, it gets me out in the public. We talk about the, this kind of stuff on, on our show, as well as on Pink Shirt Day. I do uh, like a panel kind of thing like this, where I have guests on with me and we talk about bullying and different aspects of it from cyber bullying to like uh, we've had a bully on our on on our panel before to explain why they bullied and or what what was their reasoning and how they changed and things like that so we did a panel every year we do it and i love it like i still every once in a while i'll have a teacher friend say hey you know we're having a bit of a bullying issue in my class. Can you come down and talk to my talk to the kids? And I do it. I, I have fun I mean, doing it. I mean, bullying is so much more uh, vicious now than it was when when we were growing up. I mean, when I got bullied, I mean, basically it was for some reason the kids just didn't like me, and you know, run home from school or you're going to get the shit kicked out of you. And I learned to run very fast, and I, I I cut through neighborhoods and stuff. And then one day I just said, "That's enough. I'm stop. I'm going to do it. If I get the crap beat out of me, at least I've I've stood my ground." And now with the cyber bullying. That is just another level because you've got kids that are committing suicide now from it. Yeah, it like I kind of see I see what you're you're saying there because the thing is with cyberbullying, the big difference between if you're at school getting bullied at the end of your school day, you go home. Okay, uh, whether you have to run home or uh, be walked home by a teacher, you you get to go home. But with the cyberbullying. It's everywhere. You can, if you turn on your computer, someone can do it. If the, they can bully you through your phone, it follows you everywhere you go now. But when you said it's more vicious, it's a different type of vicious because the thing is, is I know when I was in school being bullied, I was put in the hospital twice. I, I, I was, I was stuffed in a locker upside down. I was like, I was physically tortured. But now you see people, they're. It's not as physical anymore. It's it's a little it's a lot sneakier is really what it is because parents can't see it. You don't see the bruises. You you don't you don't see the cut lip now because it's all words. It's all online. It's you know 
sending it's a nasty picture, sending a nasty picture to everybody. So it's not right. just it's not just in your group right now. It's everywhere. You like if someone wanted to bully me now, my cousins in Winnipeg can see it. You know, yeah, it's, it's not very just mental. Here. Yeah, like. Yeah, and I and I, and I can tell you, I've been bullied so many times in my life. I mean, I was even bullied at actually. Uh, I was a truck driver for a gravel pit, and uh, we used to travel all over Alberta, and we set up camp, and and uh, you know we basically would eat and and uh, do all these things with these people, and I had a, like a seventy-year-old man bully me, and. It got so bad, and it got so so much in my head that I backed a truck, right, a brand new truck, right up into the side of a, a cat, a, a caterpillar, just because it was so mental and, and so demeaning on me. Because everybody would laugh and stuff at, over the supper table, and it was that stupid. So I could completely relate to any type of form of bullying that's happening now. Because, like I said, and my mom always had a saying. Said, you know, she'd say, Brian, you know. Th- say it this way they pick on the ones they love and admire the most and that's kind of how i've always gone through that in life when that comes about so um just a little tidbit but i i've kind of learned to look at it a different way uh, they a lot of people they bully because for two reasons one they're insecure about themselves so they see my success or what i'm doing or you know i'm successful in something so they have they have to try and tear me down to make them feel better about themselves it has nothing to do with me it has to do with them and and the thing is is some people want the type of life i have like there's a little person that no we have issues and a lot of it is because i get to do things he doesn't and he's he's not as happy with his life as I am. And so when you see somebody happy, it's just make it so that they're less happy. So right. that uh, right. you can share in the misery. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like it's. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I get you. Um, kind of like a power trip, uh, you know, for, for them to feel for them to feel better. I, I agree. So what we're going to do, um, we're going to go into a song, uh, one of Jimmy's favorites, Gordon Lightfoot, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. When we get back, I want to find out what your first job was. The legend lives on from the Chippewa on down Of the big lake they call Gitchagumi The lake it is said never gives up her dead When the skies of November turn gloomy With a load of iron ore 26,000 tons more Than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty that good ship and true was a bone to be chewed When the gales of November came early The ship was the pride of the American side Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin As the big freighters go it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well seasoned 
Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? Tattletale sound and the wave broke over the railing. And every man knew as the captain did too, twas the witch of November come stealing. The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain. In the face of a hurricane west wind When supper time came The old cook came on deck Saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you p.m. a main hatchway caved in He said, fellas, it's been good to know ya The captain wired in, he had water coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril And later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald Does anyone know where the love of God goes When the waves turn the minutes to hours? The searchers all say they'd have made Whitefish Bay If they'd put 15 more miles behind her They might have split up or they might have capsized They may have broke deep and took water all that remains is the faces and the names Of the wives and the sons and the daughters Lake Huron rolls, superior scenes in the rooms of her ice-water mansion Old Michigan steams like a young man's dreams The islands and bays are for sportsmen And farther below Lake Ontario Takes in what Lake Erie can send her and The iron boats go as the mariners all know With the gales of November remembered
In a musty old hall in Detroit They prayed in the Maritime Sailors Cathedral The church bell chimed till it rang 29 times For each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald The legend lives on from the Chippewa Down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi Superior, they said, never gives up her dead When the gales of November come early Okay, so we're back. We're with James P. White from Cruise FM, uh, a little person radio announcer, and, and he is uh, quite a success. Uh, I wanted to ask you, prior to meeting Lachlan Cross, uh, he's, he's your morning man on Cruise FM, that kind of took you under his wing. Uh, what were you doing prior to that? So when I, when I quit the basketball team, I moved to Edmonton, and I started working with a telemarketing company. It, it no longer exists. It was called uh, Zentel DM, I, and it was a telemarketing company. They did uh, charities, they did events, stuff like that, and basically all I did for eight hours a day, six days a week, was talk on the phone, either try and sell something or get donations, do surveys, and that's all I did. Like I was just sitting behind a cubicle pressing buttons, reading a speech. And uh, I hear you, brother. <laughs> I know exactly what that was like. I, I was uh, doing telemarketing in Victoria, British Columbia for the Firefighters Burn Fund. And we were raising money for famous people players. I'm sure you probably he heard about the Blacklight people that uh, they do this amazing, amazing onstage stuff all in Blacklight. And I had to raise money for for them and i had to find the most craziest way to do it now do you remember what well, good morning vietnam yeah okay well i would i would literally do this i you know you'd be it would be someone on the phone and i'd be going good morning, mrs so-and-so and my job was to get past the secretary to get to the ceo of the company or the manager and get big big pledges and i did it I was very successful at it, but I was as goofy as shit, right? And I'd flirt the, what the hell with the secretaries. And, you know, it, it was just a stick that you had to do because you got to do some crazy ass shit to get the pledges, right? Yeah. But, it, but the thing is, though, is that when, when I was doing it, the CRTC started regulating it a lot, a lot more, especially when you're on an automated dialer because you had to stick to a script. You had to, there's certain things you had to say because you were on an automated dialer. You had to say that your calls were recorded. You had to say the name of your company before the name of the charity. Like it, over the time that I started doing it, at first I was exactly the same. Figure out whichever way you can to get in that front door. But then as things changed, you couldn't do that. You had to say, I'm with this company doing this and and there was no 
talking around it because of the changes that the CRTC made to the telemarketing because of all the scams. You really had to, you had to toe the line where I got away with so much shit back then. Like I, 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 I oh God, man, I was setting up dates with secretaries, dude. <laughs> like really. Yeah, because it it totally changed. Like at the beginning, it was it was very easy. You talk to them like like your pals. Like oh yeah, I. I know I've known John for years, even though I've never seen him. But you know, we. But then, as it progressed, the rules changed, and then you had to record everything and and tell them that they're recorded and stick to a script. If you deviated from a script, then you got in trouble. Like I, at one point before that office closed down, I was their quality control. I would listen to calls. And I'd critique people on how, okay, you need to say this. You didn't say your name. You you know, all these different things. I was the one that used to analyze calls and go, okay, this is what you need to do. And it sucked. Like, it, the, as you progressed, it was just, you were just basically talking computers. You had to stick to a script. Right. You had to, and there was no creativity. It was, you were just... Hi, my name is. Hi, my name is. Yeah, and, I'm, like, re- I'm reading a script. I'm reading a yes. script. Yeah, yeah. And then, and and also, we used to get because you had to do the three time close. So you pitch them on this. No, okay. Hey, uh, you know, I understand that's expensive. How about this? Oh, you know. Oh, you don't want to do that. Well, could you help us in this way? So you had to do the three time close, and like it was. I learned a lot about sales that way, but it was just also a lot of. Uh, day in, day out, the exact same thing. Like I could, f- I could fall asleep and wake up and do a pitch. Like it was. Oh, I it, know. Like yeah. I did that once. I actually, while I was, because I, I was out late the night before, I fell asleep on the dialer, and my, <laughs> and and my because uh, and I was pitching the guy, and I and I was doing the clothes and. And I was ha- not having a good day, and the person says, "Yeah, I'll I'll give you, I'll uh, contribute a hundred dollars." Sorry for bothering you, sir. Have a great day. And then I hung up on him. Um, and he was giving me a hundred dollars. Right. <laughs> and you fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, and that the, is good. That's classic. Uh, so, so let, let's get to get to how you met Lachlan Cross. Um, so you know he he basically kind of rescued from that you that from that world. How did that come about? Uh, okay, so back in the day, so this would have been in 2011. He was he was uh, working at the bear. He was on middays, and uh, they were doing a bit called "Will It Hurt?" So they had this guy Lucas Holt in. Uh, he was like an intern. And so they would do all these crazy stunts to see if Lucas could handle it. And so on. they did a shout-out on the radio. They were looking for a little person to dress up like a leprechaun and kick him. So a, a friend of mine heard it and said, hey, I've got a guy. And I went down there, and they're like, all we want you to do is just kick him in the shins. And I'm dressed as a leprechaun. And, and I'm like, yeah, but do you want something funny? And they're like, what do you mean? I said, how about we do this? I do a couple of karate kicks, kick him in the shins, give him a stone cold stunner, jump off a speaker and give him an elbow drop. And they're, 
like Locke looked like uh, all the blood just drained out of his face. You'll do that? And I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? So we did it, and it was funny. And then him and the boss came to me after and said, hey, if we want to do some other stuff, are you willing? And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Within about two years, I was doing a full-time video segment on his show, and then then we were he was bringing me in to talk about it and i was then i started in radio i was casual i was like two hours a day monday to friday and doing a bunch of stunts with him and then i was full-time on his show at the bear and then he moved over to cruise and within about eight months i was working with him over here and we've been on the morning show since august of 2016 we've been a show right and you have done some outlandish stuff on that station can you t- tell me about some of the uh the bits or the the uh the, the things that you guys have done well there's so many to so many to go through uh again dressing like a leprechaun um we did this we did this thing uh around Halloween called scare downs. So what we would do is we would get like, say, say you wanted me to scare your mother. So, or, or, or anyone. So you'd say, Hey, my mom's afraid of little people. Um, so we want you to scare. So, and then we go and look at the situation. We're like, okay, in this, in this one situation, we did it where this lady was actually afraid of little people. That is a thing. And so she was coming home from work. Her friends let me in her garage. She had a fridge box in the middle of her garage. I was inside the fridge box. So she had to, (laughs) she had to, she had to move the fridge box to pull her car into the, into the garage. She touched the fridge box. I came bursting out and she ran for two blocks running away from me. And she would not come back until I was, until uh, it was confirmed I was inside the car with the door closed. We did things like that. I've done strippergrams. Uh, we've done, um, we've done things like we, Locke and I, we were walking through uh, West Edmonton Mall, uh, really early in the morning when you have like all the the older people that walk there because it's like they just take walks just for exercise and we were walking through the mall with a stripper trying to get these old people to spank a stripper um we've done that i've done strip teases what are some other things uh at one point uh, so we used to host sunday night football at the tilted kilt um and we would do games during the halftime. And so Locke had an idea for a game that if uh, what he wanted me to do is he wanted me to run. And if people threw a football and I caught it, they won prizes. And I'm like, I don't see the funny with that. That that is a very common conversation between Locke and I, as he says, how about this? And I'm like, let's make it worse. And so what we ended up doing is I wore a Velcro suit, ran through the bar. People threw a football. If it stuck to the suit, they won stuff. And we did that for, we did that for two years. We had to both do it 
two games during the halftime and two at the end of the game because it was so popular. Everyone wanted to play it. Who doesn't want to throw a a foam football at a little person? And right, but but exactly. we did, but we did that for about two years, and then someone complained to the AGLC, and they they came in and they deemed it uh, derogatory. They deemed it um, exploitive, and they they were being total dorks about it, and. So they ended up, so it's no longer, that game is no longer allowed to be played in bars because they, they found it, it's on the same category as dwarf tossing. Like they don't allow it. It's so dumb. Because I even said to the guy, he goes, because he was going on and on and how exploitive it was. And I said, okay, let me ask you a question. If we put this Velcro suit on Lachlan and he ran through the bar and people threw footballs at him, would that be okay? And they're like, yeah, because he's, and he used a word I hate, he's not disabled. And, I'm, and I got mad. Locke saw I got mad and he had to come calm me down. And I said, I'm not disabled. I've, I've got challenges. I'm a little person. I'm no different than anybody else. I'm like, so you're basically saying I can't do it because I'm a little person and I stand out, and it makes people look bad or feel bad. And so, so that's what it was. Is the guy got mad or was bothered by the fact that he looked at me as being disabled, and it was making right. fun of someone. Right, right. Okay, so that's the end of uh, part one. Uh, we're going to play Heavy by Glorious Sons. We're going to talk about Jimmy and his short-lived ship stripper career. And we're also going to talk a little bit about how he got into wrestling. Call me heavy or don't come at all. You leave your piece at home, that's your call. It never paid to be merciful. Come heavy or don't come at all
fall. 